begin. Today is the 16th of February, just after Nirvana Day, which is celebrated on the 15th, and we're going to um, do Responding to Pressure, the chapter um, in Joko's book. Now, this is very interesting uh, chapter because this chapter in one sense speaks of the verse of the robe, the verse of the Kesa and at the same time it emphasizes what Joko calls the formless aspects of practice. Now, truthfully, there's neither form nor formless. But, because we hold on to form so strongly, um, we need to speak of formless. Um, We need to, if I say it, use form to reveal formlessness. Of course, you all know in the Heart Sutra we emphasize form is emptiness. Form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness is exactly form. Now, this verse of the Kesa reflects the use of the form the form of precepts, the form of kesa or raksu, to emphasize that this vast robe of liberation practice is the formless field of our life. In one sense, we can say the practice is a practice of form, especially when we take the precepts, use a raksu to help support our practice, or in the case of becoming uh, ordained as shojo has, um, becoming a novice monk, using the forms of that practice to train our formless practice, our formless life. In a way, shoujo has it more difficult because though when one is ordained, usually one would then go off to a monastery for extended period in which the form of monastic practice from morning to night becomes the opportunity of formless practice. And yet, Because we don't have that kind of setting, he has to struggle and he and I need to work with using the limited forms that we have, whether it's the form of the robes and the okesa, etc., to become the bamboo tube that he bumps into. But we all have that, whether we use the precepts, or we use our daily zazen, or we use our other aspects, wearing the raksu, as form supports 
to enable us to practice with who we are, which we can say formless field of benefaction. Um, And truthfully, we use form and formless to truly be beyond form and formless. So, with that introduction to this chapter, as I've said, I'd like this to be grow out of your uh, questions and your chewing on this chapter. So, in a sense, you use the form of the chapter, the form of the specifics that Joko brings up to clarify your formless life and then to articulate aspects of it and see what together we can support your life. So I'll stop here and I'm sure you all will have plenty to say about this chapter because I think there's all sorts of interesting aspects to our practice that might clarify um, for our for us. So, Please. Anyone? Well, Gamir. Yes. Um, in be in in reading this chapter, beginning to read the chapter, the first page. Uh-huh. First page and a half, you know, she kind of gives the impression, which there's some truth in it, that pressure is something that we encounter, something that affects us um, from outside, from our experience and our interaction mm-hmm. with the things in our life, thing, people, situations. But then they kind of, to me, it seems like she kind of morphs that and and kind of goes deeper and, and clarifies it in expressing, and I think it begins kind of on the top of page 25 in my book, where she talks about our typical pattern for responding to pressure. Uh-huh. It's created early in our lives. And, she, and then she brings in, you know, talks about this puckering, this yes. etc., um, a little sack that we pull together to hide our fear. Uh-huh. And then from kind of that point on, I think for me at least she clarified that really pressure is our reaction to the things, you know, the stress. It's not something that we encounter so much, but is as a reaction to, and she talks about our strategy, or what is the word she used in this chapter? Chief feature. Yeah. Um, how we react to things in our environment that we find distressful or uncomfortable or we just don't like. Um, so I, you know, I started off thinking, nah, I'm not so sure. But then as the chapter went on, she, she kind of, I mean, it becomes a very clear expression of what practice really is from a very fundamental sort of way. Um, and it kind of reflected to me 
kind of the history of my approach to practice. Uh-huh. In that, you know, I begin I began my practice hoping to fix the things in my life that I thought needed fixing. Um, but as practice goes on, and she talks about learning how to be the observer, um, you know, we start to learn that really it's our reactive, habitual nature um, to those things in our life, as opposed to something that we need to deal with that comes from outside. If that's very clear, I'm not so sure that's very clear. Well, it's not that we have to deal with something that comes from outside, mm-hmm. but it's it's um, because then it becomes, uh, as she says it, as if it's using our mind to correct our mind in how we deal with things, so to speak, which isn't what it's about at all. Um, it's the unwillingness to even notice this, uh, what she calls, chief feature, uh, or the fear which keeps us from being this formless field. You'll notice in the Heart Sutra, it got a whole list of things, no, no, not this, not that, 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 that. Then, um, and then it finally gets to no fear, and therefore the Bodhisattva lives Prajnaparamita. So, in a sense, that's part of what she's picking up. Um, because then the fear is the, well, we can call it, the underlying chief pucker <laughs> that that all the specific habits of reaction that are ours and yours as opposed to, to mine as opposed to someone else's are just bound pushing on. Um, and, of course, even the observer is just, uh, you could say, a provisional practice effort. Um, and that it itself disappears, or, as she says, fades. Um, and, in part, there's a, you can say, a, a correlation or a, a uh, uh, interrelationship between the uh, ability and the willingness to observe and the willingness to experience fear and the um, uh, ability for the, the 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 ceasing of the need to observe as the experiencing of fear no longer drives our reactions. Yeah. Well, or, it, or I should know, say, the refusal to fe- experience fear no longer yeah. drives our reactions. Right. Well, this concept of the observer, right, there's a tendency there, I think, to imply a separation from our experience. And, and and saying we need to be the observer as if we're creating some sort of separation. Well, she makes a point that that's exactly what we're not doing. I mean, she yeah. says it's not 
the little mind trying to fix the mind or a new form and then turning the observer into a new thing um, that that's observing because then it just becomes another form um, of call it self, call it mind, call it whatever. Yeah, if I have to use words, I would say that you know the observer and the experiencer are not two. Well, um, I have to use words. Remember, it's almost as if observing flips into experiencing, um, but even that, um, as long as there's, well. That's why she talks about observing fading of itself. Yeah. But if we just talk about it as theory, it's not much use. Um, The point of this is to encourage the actual specific forms that it has to be for us in our daily practice. Or, let's say it differently, the actual specific forms that circumstances result in this arising in our actual life. Whether it's something as simple as looking outside and seeing the weather and getting upset or afraid, I'm not going to be able to drive in this, or this is going to be too, or how come I planned to other things. Um, so, and it's always our specific forms, or as she puts it, our specific puckers. Yeah, bumps. Um, the bumps that we turn the circumstances of the moment into, where. We bump into ourself. We only bump into ourself. But the bumps are because we create the bump in reality and then bump into it. And how do we create it? That's the point that she's making when she talks about this fear or puckering or whatever specific form that arises for us. You said the observer is a provisional practice, and I didn't get the last word. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't remember what I said, except I might have said, the, the, the problem is I don't remember once I'm talking, um, I don't observe my talking well enough to remember it all, but I might have said that the observer is a provisional pa- practice, and then at some point the observer fades of itself into the experiencing. So the observer is a provisional practice that in a sense flips into experiencing, if we explain it in that way. Does that make sense? It it does make sense, and and I'm asking because my my background is in clinical psychology, and I was trained in a form of of process psychotherapy Uh where the therapist had to 
um, be able to both act as the therapist in the session, but also be tracking the interaction between the therapist and the client. Yes. And it is a, it was an extremely difficult thing to learn to do in that very contained setting. Yes. Uh, uh, but it uh, certainly had, over time, has had some beneficial effects, I think, for me. I, mm-hmm. I would imagine any therapist that does it, um, because you uh, are learning to monitor your own emotional response. Uh, and, you're, of course, it's easier to do because you have the outlook that you're doing it to help someone else, you know, you're not caught right in that moment. Um, but uh, it sounds an awful lot like this uh, provisional practice function. And uh, from that standpoint, on page 29, um, about the, uh, the first time we see Joko's name after the student asks the question, uh-huh. isn't the observer really part of the little mind? And Joko is very clear that, no, it's, it's a function of awareness that only arises when it, we have an object come up in our experience in the phenomenal world. Um, but the last sentence there, the observer finally dies when we are just awareness and no longer need the observer. And that, to me, was a bit shocking. Uh, I could see how in, uh, in a, a moment of... Um, true openness, that you are not, that that, that last boundary of self uh, can, can fade away. But we also need it to go back, don't we? Well, l- let's say this way. Let us not take dies as a, 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 a anything more than dies for right now, because that also means that the... Um, because we tend to think of if something dies, then it's done for. Um, and in one sense, there's actually two ways we can look at it, but in one sense, though it dies, it can, the observer can then, can at a future time be um, resurrected in response to the need of the circumstances because despite the fact that it it can drop away, we can discover all of a sudden that we're caught up again in reacting or reactive fear about circumstances. And that's when the observing function can also be resurrected, so to speak. So, ultimately, yes, there is a dying, a a complete dying, but for most of us that's a daydream at, at some future ultimate. We don't have to Think it out. It's all theoretical. But, yes, in, in a true sense, it is true that there is no observer except when it's there and when it's called for. But we can let it die over and over. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's perfectly true moment by moment as the nature of our life. 
was very helpful. Thank you. Okay. interesting on 27 where she talks about um, second paragraph uh, sitting is like our daily lives uh-huh what's up as we sit will be the thinking that we want to think to or our chief feature and then later on the, the end of it um, the end of that paragraph uh, whatever we do in our sitting is like a microcosm of the rest of our lives sitting shows us what we're doing with our lives our lives show us what we do when we sit Yes. But that was very interesting. How so? Well, sometimes I do notice I'll be sitting, and uh, all of a sudden I realize I'm you know caught up in something. I and I'm you know sitting there, and um, I didn't realize how caught up I was, you know, in life with that thing until mm-hmm. I'm sitting, and all of a sudden it's right there. And, you know, so that's one thing. Um, and then, you know, sometimes um, when, just like I'm out in everyday life, um, you know, interacting with people or just taking a walk, whatever, and, and um, you know, sometimes things flow. Um, but sometimes they don't flow. So, you know, I guess, I guess that's, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't, somehow when I read this, it's like, oh, um, you know, uh, maybe I'm thinking, sometimes I might be thinking when I'm sitting instead of just sitting. And then when, and I can sometimes see that in, in, in actual life. Because when I'm just really being there, uh, letting go of thoughts that come up, but letting go of that, then I notice that things go a little differently. And all of a sudden, I'm getting a lot more done, for example. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is because I'm not wrapped up in those thoughts that kind of ended up taking up more time. But I'm not certain what, what else, you know, she meant, but that was just my experience of it. Well, let me add another dimension. Sometimes during our daily life activities, we could take a few minutes, a few moments even of sitting, even if it's sitting while we're walking between buildings or um waiting on something and sometimes if we're doing our just being present in in those moments and sitting as we're waiting for the next phone call we can discover something that's going on even though we didn't see it while we're in the midst of the busyness of work and we could discover that this is going on here in the busyness of work, just as it seems sometimes when I'm sitting in the zendo, I discover that this, whatever this is, going on. So, in that sense, too. And going on means not just the specific content of the chatter, but more the reactiveness to it, whether it's with fear or other reactive habits. In a sense, she's saying that, of course, that fear underlies the reactive habits or is intermingled with them. But sometimes it's important, not sometimes, it is important for us to notice our specific form of it right now when that's arising. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it, 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 this last sentence, um, sitting showing what we're doing with our lives, lives showing what we do with our, when we sit, it's both of them in a sense are based on our willingness to be present and notice or observe as that's appropriate. And yeah, I, I thought I understood that, but uh-huh. I'm realizing I don't. So could you say a little bit more about the last part of that sentence, what she means when she's saying that our lives show us what we do when we sit? Well, let us... There's a number of ways you could take it, but let's go one way. Um, When we get caught up in reactive habits in our life, in other words, someone says something to us and we go, oh, and, you know, or even someone doesn't say anything to us and we go, they didn't say, what do they mean? Why? That shows us um, the manifesting of what we we often discover occurring as we're sitting quietly and all of a sudden mind chatter is occurring of that kind of reactive um, in, entangling going round and round. So on just that level, our lives show us or our lives act out what we get caught up when we're sitting if we don't observe it and practice with it. Does that make sense? Well, um, somewhat, but but I'm really still trying to understand the second part of it, not how sitting is like what we what we do in life, but how life is what we do in sitting. Well, in 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 one in another sense. Our life is the experiencing of moment by moment when we do that when we sit. In other words, just because you're moving, just because you're speaking to someone and someone's speaking back to you, if our sitting is being present experiencing, then our listening and responding is being present experiencing. That's um, the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, I... Well, one second. Let, let me make sure that, that Joyce is... Yeah, sure. Joyce? Yeah, no, that, yeah that, that's... Uh, I, I, I'm getting it, uh, but I think it's one of those things where I, I think I'm just going to, you know, sort of chew on it around a little more. Uh-huh. Okay. L- let's just... Since Joko makes the link with the word microcosm, so in one sense it's seeing the, um, um, let, let us say, as if it's two different so-called, our sitting and so-called our life, and it's as if you have a some sort of optic glass between them. So one shows the other in a slightly different way, and the other is shown in the first in a slightly different way, because the glass um, refracts and 
changes them, and yet it's still just showing another view of the same thing. Let, let me say it that way, and then we'll, we'll leave it for a future time to explore further. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sandra, you wanted to say something. Yeah, so, um, I, yeah, I think taking practice into, uh, or practicing with specific life situations, some situations can be really difficult to practice with. Like you probably recall, and because it was one of my, like, most difficult work relationships ever that I spoke with you a lot about on my uh-huh. last job. Um, where I had my um, supervisor, my boss, was really difficult for me to deal with her communication style, um, partly because, um, she, oh, still I find it overwhelming just to think about it. Uh-huh. It was an overwhelming communication style where she would go on and on and on and on for like maybe 45 minutes to an hour and you know you and I talked about it a lot and I would try to practice (coughs) in her presence with you know what I was feeling what I was experiencing it was really difficult I mean I still always felt exhausted after one of those encounters with her Mm -hmm. and I think Part of what I was expecting when I would do that was for her to behave differently. And (laughs) that was, yeah, right. And so, yeah, I think part of it was I thought, oh, she's going to behave differently if I just listen and I'm more aware. But sometime when you're in a situation like that, you have to give some kind of, you know, a response is expected. But although in her case, I think maybe she didn't really notice whether I was responding or not responding because maybe she was so caught up in her own self, in her own mind, that she wasn't even noticing me. That occurred just now, just now occurred to me. But um, I, I mean, I do find situations like that really, it's, it's really hard practice, really hard yes. practice. Yes, yes. I mean, I don't, yeah, since I've stepped away from that, I haven't encountered anything like that, but, um, yeah, but, um, so how, I mean, do you have other suggestions about how, like, our life do bring us opportunities to practice? Yes. Um, but sometimes it can be really overwhelming. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it's not like just sitting, it's not just like sitting on our cushion because this, this other, it felt like somebody else was in control. And what's important is to notice, there's two aspects that are important here to notice. First is, you, you spelled it out. If we have an expectation that if I do such and such, I'm going to get such and such from them, because I'm, you know, practicing with it, and they're, therefore they're going to stop doing something or continue to do something. Then you you know you're you're setting yourself up for major failure, and and right. maybe even giving yourself an excuse to to become angry or fearful because you didn't get the outcome you want. Our practice isn't a, a, a new way to try to get something from circumstances, whether from people 
or the universe. That's the first aspect we have to notice that if we create that, then that's like sitting Zazen and saying that at the end of my Zazen I'm supposed to feel a certain way and then at the end of Zazen checking, giving yourself a grade, did I feel the way I'm supposed to feel, etc. That's the one yeah. one aspect. But the So in this case, yeah, I was really hoping that the, my practice would make <laughs> our relationship better, but that never happened. But anyway, it still didn't harm it didn't harm it any. Right. But but that isn't see, that's treating practice right. as something to get a certain result. Uh-huh. And really what what Joko is emphasizing here in in this facets of practice is talking about practice as how we, I'll use the word handle, and practice with and experience this, what she would call underlying fear, or basic fear. And we might try, as she puts it, different behaviors in responding to pressures, but really what that's about is us trying different tactics to work with this fear, but avoid experiencing it, avoid even observing it, rather. And that's really where, that's the underlying practice aspect that we need to stay with, rather than trying all these different things in order to get different outcomes. Otherwise, that's just playing more, um, what should I say, Um, using the mind to fix the mind, or to fix, in this case, to fix the mind of others. Um, In other words, using our zazen in order to get a certain outcome, or Uh using our life in order to bargain with life so that the next day moment of life is going to be the way I think it should be. That's guaranteed to fail. And guaranteed to perpetuate the underlying fear that I can't experience life as it is. Instead, I've got to have life be the way I think it should be. That's carrying the self forward, as Dogen Zenji says, and attempting to, to get the universe to be a certain way, which results in lots of delusion for us and lots of harm and suffering. Yeah, and, and uh, but in some ways you may come to um, a conclusion that, I mean, your response, at some, at some point you probably are going to have like a response, a decisive response. Like, like what? I don't work there anymore. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it's sort of like during during that process, observing, which again I found really exhausting. Well, as as Joko says, for a time, we may be more uncomfortable than when we started, um, even though she says rage or. Fear, which is the another side of rage, another facet of rage, she says is simply a stage that passes. Um, we can be more uncomfortable the more we're willing to experience it, because the more we cease to do what 
gets us in trouble in, in avoiding the fear of the moment, what that causes harm or suffering, the more we do that, the more we try different things, the more that doesn't work. So at some point, we have to be willing to experience that rage fear. And that means we have to feel what you might call, quote, uncomfortable, or terribly uncomfortable, or in excruciatingly uncomfortable, fearful, terrified. Not because we create it, but because that's what opening up to the present moment sometimes entails, because that's part of human self-centeredness is built on that. That's why the Heart Sutra goes through all those things to, to the, the different aspects of forms are different aspects of ways we want to avoid the fear of the three basic aspects of life. Non-self, impermanence, inherent unsatisfactoriness. We want to avoid those because that isn't what we want. It doesn't fit. That's what she's talking about when she's talking about fear. That's what we fear. Mm-hmm. But, and sometimes, though, um, in recognizing what, what, we, what we're feeling, then there also came the question of, is there a real basis for that fear? In other words, uh-huh. am I believing what I'm hearing? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So like if somebody was um, severely criticizing you, I feel like part of that, that fear comes from losing um, like self-confidence or self-esteem. It's like an attack on your self-esteem. or And so there is that fear. And then there's like, well, but are they right? Do I believe what they're telling me? You know and, what I'm saying? And what if they're right? What if we experience that they are right and that is so? See, that's uh-huh. what we're really terrified of. Maybe that is, what if we tell ourselves that? Because if they're, maybe they're telling uh-huh. us something that we might actually fear might be true. That could be, yeah. And, and what is it to, to experience that that could be true? Mm-hmm. Well, it could be a case, and I don't want to dominate things here, so this is the last okay. thing I'll say, but it could be the case that you have an underlying um, issue with confidence, and then somebody, if it gets piled on, it's easy then yeah. to let yourself go there. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, and you could recognize that, but I'm not sure how it's helpful to like feel that pile on yourself you know what I'm saying you don't have to feel the pile on but we all have a a, a fundamental issue as you put it of confidence because uh-huh. confidence is all about a self-centeredness image or more than image but a self that we want to make fixed, permanent, separate, and that we want to ensure that will 
is who we are and will continue to be who we are. And part of our practice is seeing that for the, what should I say, non-fixed, non-permanent, non-separate that we are. And it's hard because we've been struggling against that. That's what fear in a way is about. That's what the Heart Sutra, if I go back to that, is all about. That's what formless field of benefaction. None of us want to be formless field. That means we have to take every form that we encounter. And there's some, you know, that we say, no, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to experience that. That's not me. Mm-hmm. And yet that seems to have arisen in my, as my life experience this moment. That's exactly what she's talking about as practices experience. It's experiencing whatever arises. And that's what's hard for us. That's what it's, that's why it's so valuable to see that what arises is form, but what arises is formless or empty. And therefore, we can experience the empty and the form, or the form which is exactly the empty. Of course, I shouldn't use such stinky words, and saying those things just sometimes gives us more ideas that aren't necessarily good, but I did, so... Well, thank you. Yeah. Anyone else? Can I just add one more thing? Unless sure. No, no. Speak up. Okay. Um, so I, I sort of remember, um, I, you know, I don't exactly know how to say this, but I'll just, I'll just say it in an abbreviated Joyce kind of way. Um, and then as well, Joko brought this on herself because she would always say that. Um, <laughs> When you practice, things transform. And so it's really easy to misinterpret that. Yes. Be- as, as being able to make things transform. Right. And that, that it's going to transform into something else that we think would be better and different and um, what we need to get to in order to get rid of how it is now or how I think it is now. Yeah. That's a be careful what you wish for kind of thing sometimes, too. Yeah. If we practice in order to attain some new image of who we believe we are, we've already, in a sense, um, sinned against... using that word loosely, so please excuse me, sinned against who we are by believing that we need to be something else or believing that we know what we are and we need to be something else because what we are is not okay. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, 
we could say the Buddha says, all beings are the wisdom and perfection of the Buddha. Or the Tathagata, if you want to say that way. However you take those to be. If you believe the story of who you are, there, right there is the problem. That's exactly what she's talking about. This observing, and observing in a sense, flipping into experiencing. It's not observing as a way to get somewhere else, to get to, to figure out what you need to get rid of so that you can get rid of those things and then things will be okay. I find that for me it's really hard sometimes to stay in that observing mode. Uh-huh, yes. I, uh, I tried a little experiment just on the way over here tonight, driving. It only takes me maybe 10 to 15 minutes to get from my house to this place. And I thought, I, I made a conscious effort to be the observer, just driving. You know, just driving, not thinking, just driving. Just being aware of what's going on, but, but just driving. And it lasted about two minutes, and I start my mind started to wander again, and then I started to argue with myself because uh, I'm not a perfect practitioner, you know, because uh, I, uh, I I screwed up. Yes. So you added on judgment onto the wandering mind habit, so to speak. Yeah, and it snowballed for about five minutes, and then it went away. Yeah, and and see, this is. This is a, a, an important point to notice the judgment habit and how much we want to turn practice into a new judgment habit. And the observing isn't about judging. It, Joko uses the image of observing is like a mirror, um, meaning whatever appears, appears, and whatever disappears, disappears. If we treat the mirror as a judger, then we're essentially turning, trying to treat mind, or little mind, as Joko uses that expression, as a way of creating a different form of little mind. That isn't what we're doing. It might be necessary sometimes, fine. When it's necessary, use it. But, Notice it for what it is, and if you believe it, it will only get us in trouble. If we try to be good, it works some of the time, fine. But if we try to make ourselves only have so-called good thoughts, even if it works a little, at some point you will get so overwhelmed by the pressure and the tension of that that you'll, if you excuse the expression, go crazy for a few moments, because you can't make yourself only have good thoughts. That who you know that that's the whole mind trying to fix mind. That itself is a problematic thought. But of course, the more I talk about it, the more entangled you get if you try to think it out. So no need to do it. See, practice in a way means being willing to feel and experience 
the discomfort and pain when that arises of not acceptable thoughts. When that shows up, let that be there. Work with that. That's what practice is. That's observing, and that's, in a sense, observing is to then allow us to be the experiencing that we are. Okay, if someone has something they want to bring up, good. And and if no one has anything further to say, please look at this chapter again, chew on it. Next week we will go to the chapter called The Baseboard. That should keep us busy. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night.